It's the first Sunday of the month again and the Dhamma theme on our Forest Sangha calendar, the teaching by Ajahn Chah. Uh, those of you that have turned the page will have seen, says that Dhamma practice, it means upholding virtue. Developing samadhi and cultivating wisdom in our hearts. Reflect on the triple gem. Strive on with sincerity and there's a very nice picture of <clears throat> Ajahn Teradamo uh, I think the occasion is the celebration of of uh, Vaisak and uh, the, uh, the branch monastery or the little hermitage of um, Santa Chitarama I think it's called Santa Loka up in the uh, Italian Alps so this, this teaching by Ajahn Chah, when I read it, and the word that jumps off the page for me is the very last word, which is sincerity. Uh, strive on with sincerity. Now, I don't know what the Thai word was after the translation and editing that the talk has gone through, what Ajahn Chah actually said, but certainly uh, sincerity is a, an attractive theme for contemplation. And probably most of us will be familiar with what the, the Buddha's own advice, similarly, was strive on with diligence. And So what is, uh, if, we, if we consider this word sincerity, what comes to mind? Well, with contemplating these virtues, these themes, I find it's often helpful to look at the opposite. So if we're <clears throat> considering contentment, you know, what, are the Buddha, what was the Buddha talking about when he's talking about contentment? Well, what we know is discontentment. And we can start from that. Or loving-kindness. The Buddha's talking about loving-kindness. Well, certainly what we know is the absence of loving-kindness, ill will, and we can start from that. Yeah. Or patience. And the Buddha's talking about with patience. Well, we know what impatience is, so we can start with that. So when I think about sincerity and I look at insincerity, what is that? What is insincerity? And what comes to my mind is where we are overly invested in the roles that we play or the games that we play. We all have roles, uh, natural, 
the abbot of the monastery suitable to a certain extent. But if the abbot of the monastery forgets that he's actually just another human being, well, then it becomes unsuitable. Yeah? Or if you're a teacher, a school teacher, and that's your role, that's your title, but if the school teacher forgets to see the students as human beings and just sees them as statistics, how many people can I prove that I got through the exams this year? How many points do I get? Or the CEO of a company, you see the employees as statistics and just fire a bunch of those because we can't afford them anymore. And yeah. maybe one of the things that uh, people generally find attractive about that, um, that company, John Lewis, is that they don't have employees, they, they have partners. Everybody in John Lewis is a partner. It's based on Quaker philosophy, and which uh, <clears throat> has encoded in it, of course, the, uh, the sense of dignity and respect for the human beings, for the participants, for the individuals. And, and the, uh, the boss of John Lewis is not allowed to earn more than a certain percentage than the lowest paid person of the company. In other words, they have an appreciation of the human beings. They're not just overly invested in the roles that people are playing. So I would suggest that, uh, that when we do fall prey to becoming the roles, getting lost in the form and forgetting the spirit, yeah. it's suitable to have teachers. Yeah. We can learn if we show respect for our teachers, but where we forget that the teacher is just a function, and that title is not really who the person is, <clears throat> it's a role that they're performing for a particular benefit, then it seems that we lose sincerity, we lose authenticity. And there's always a risk in this. In the religious world, there's a big risk of this. Yeah. We can end up playing a load of religious games yeah. instead of emphasizing or instead of appreciating that good body posture is, is there to release the breathing so that we can uh, absorb ourselves more fully, more mindfully into the meditation, we become obsessed with looking good with our meditation posture, you know, showing off. And I heard um, not so long ago, or maybe I read, I forget now, but when uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama was commenting on Tibetan Buddhism in America, he said that it's uh, rather too Tibetan. It's uh, just uh, maybe a few less tankas and tolkus on the wall and twirling the vajra uh, would be a good idea. Uh, where there's commodification of the religion or commodification of anything. You know, this is, there's always a risk that we lose the spirit. We lose the point. We forget the point. And this is what materialism does to us. Materialism blinds us to the essence. You know, we overemphasize the, the role. We overemphasize 
the form. We, we forget the point. And sometimes when I hear people complaining about how shallow politicians are, and I think, well, they only vote for politicians if they look good. But what else do you expect? I mean, if your politician's got to be beautiful, I mean, beauty is not a good sign of wisdom, necessarily. I mean, you know, the most beautiful dogs you would be Afghan hounds, right? Now, they don't have brains, do they? I mean, they just, there's nothing upstairs. They're really beautiful, incredibly beautiful, but there's nothing happening. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way we run our politics. You know, do they look good on television? Well, of course, we end up with shallow politicians. And that's, if we're not careful, we can do that in the religious world as well. We can, we can lose sincerity. We can lose, we can lose the edge. We become overly invested in the technique, for instance. Now, the techniques... Meditation techniques are there to help us hone down the spiritual faculties. Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration and discernment. The five spiritual faculties that we all have as potential human beings, we all have these spiritual faculties, but how, how well developed are they? Well, we have spiritual techniques, meditation techniques, so as to hone these down. But... If we're overly materialistic, if we forget the point of the technique, then we focus on just becoming good at the technique and forget to appreciate, is our faith being nourished? Is our energy balanced? Is mindfulness more consistent? Is concentration more functional? Is discernment more present? So the, there's always this risk, and particularly, I would think, in this day and age, where we have, uh, a, uh, for a long time now, the, uh, the waning of wisdom. The wisdom culture has passed away a long time ago. Even common and garden variety religion is not very evident anymore. And the emphasis, the universal religion, is sensationalism. I would suggest. Materialism, sensationalism. Wherever it gives you a hit, look at the newspaper, look at the news. It's not producing useful information most of the time. It's entertainment, it's distraction, it's sensationalism. And so there's, a, there's always a risk if we are not attuned to this. We can get pulled into the forms, into the roles, and lose sincerity, lose authenticity. And we can just be running through it, just doing this practice, you know. We suddenly, we, we get to a point where we feel like our meditation is not getting anywhere anymore. And we forget why we started out in practice. And so that's something we can do about it. You know, the question arises, if there is this risk of losing sincerity, if there is this risk of losing the edge, if, if there is this risk of becoming perfunctory, in our spiritual life, which surely there is, what can we do about it? Well, one of the things we can do about it is remember, write down um, something to remind ourselves why we got started in this practice. You know, to write that down in our diary. Why do we, what are we looking for? And to use that to help us 
remember that the techniques, the forms, the conventions, they're all there to serve the spirit of our longing for truth or our longing for freedom from suffering or our, our love of reality or however it might express itself. That's the spirit, that's the point. And the forms are there to serve that. As, as our uh, dear friend, <coughs> uh, the uh, well-respected, um, highly regarded Jungian psychoanalyst, Barney Shorter, talking about this, pointed out that the forms are there to serve the spirit, not the spirit to serve the forms. In any religion where the forms become dominant and the spirit has to serve the form, then the spirit is lost, the religion has failed. But so long as the forms are there to serve the spirit, then we can engage the forms, we can use the forms. And so reflecting on this and and seeing in our own particular tradition, we have, um, we're very fortunate to have uh, the great teacher, Vinamalajan Shah, and um, his very wise and skillful pointings to the path over and over again, bringing us back. But even as in Chark, it's commodified these days. You know, I've seen T-shirts. You can buy T-shirts about letting go. Quote Ajahn Chah. You know, there's probably mouse mats and and coffee mugs about letting go as well. Now, this is what materialistic society does. This is what materialism does. It it puts all the emphasis on the form. And if we're not careful, we get intoxicated by that. You know, you know when the Buddha talked about the four intoxicants, you know, youth, wealth, health, and beauty. You know, a lot of them are to do with forms. Now, there's nothing wrong. The Buddha wasn't, didn't have a problem with young people or things being beautiful. Just uh, he pointed out that it's easy to get intoxicated by these things. And so how do we protect ourselves? How do we stay focused? How do we keep the edge? Well, we become aware of the danger. Why is it the case that insurance policies for people under 24 are more expensive? Because they're dangerous. People under 24 are dangerous. They, they haven't learned the lesson yet that you can't speed without increasing the risk. So there is a disproportionate number of people, unfortunately, die under 24, or at least have motor accidents under 24. Youth is dangerous. Nothing wrong with it. Just because it's dangerous doesn't mean to say there's anything wrong with it. A smartphone is dangerous, but I love my smartphone. There's nothing wrong with my smartphone. It's just that it's a dangerous thing. You know, If I don't know how to turn it off, I can become distracted by it. I could take it into my bedroom, which I don't do, by the way. Well, occasionally I do. Very, very occasionally. It's dangerous because you can get addicted to it. But that doesn't make it bad. You know, cheesecake is dangerous. <laughs> you can ruin your cholesterol. You know, there's nothing wrong with cheesecake, but it is, from one perspective, dangerous. Well, the tool of religion, meditation techniques, also, in one sense, are dangerous. Uh, because they're powerful, we can become, we can forget their function and overemphasize the technique, overemphasize the role, forgetting the spirit. The spirit of all our practice is about letting go, is about realizing inherent ease and well-being and, and understanding. That's the point. That's the spirit of practice. But if we're not careful, 
we lose that and we become this inauthentic, insincere, perfunctory, spiritual ego. Maybe some sort of an improvement on, on other variations of egoity, but it's not the point. That's not what we're aiming at. And in the Mahasaropana Sutta, you, those of you who've read it, the, the discourse on the Heartwood, the Heartwood Sutta, the uh, Buddha talks about don't settle for just the outer level of the bark or the sapwood, but keep going right through to the heartwood, to the liberation. And so there's always, there's always this danger, and the, particularly in our materialistic society, which commodifies everything. Like these days, your mindfulness has been commodified and is being packaged. Some uh, young fellow visiting recently was telling me how he's a school teacher and he thought it'd be useful to bring mindfulness training into the school and so he enrolled in the course and then part of this course was he needed to have a reference person that he, he had to check in with on a regular basis and so he suggested that he would go and see this Buddhist monk of many years training that he held in very high regard and, but he was told, oh no, you can't have a Buddhist monk. You know, he can't be your reference person. You need somebody skilled in mindfulness who's going to oversee your training. And well, yeah, I can see the logic of that. I can see where it's coming from. But there's a risk in this materialistic attitude to everything. Where we, we the risk is that we lose our sincerity, we lose the edge, and we are playing just another game. One of the ways we can protect ourselves from this, I would suggest, is by cultivating renunciation. By checking to see what happens when we don't get our own way. We can be coasting along, feeling pretty good about our spiritual practice. And Somebody was, somebody I know down south who He's very comfortably placed in the academic world and and uh, committed long-term Buddhist and practitioner and very sincere about his practice. But he wanted to experiment with what happened when he put himself under pressure. So he asked me to bear witness to these vows that he made, these renunciation vows. He cutting down from three meals a day to two meals a day and uh, he wasn't going to listen to Radio 4 and he wasn't going to check his his Facebook page so, so often or something, I forget all the vows that he was taking on but he was going to do it for a fixed period of time just to see what happened I, I really admire that I really, and he learnt from it, in fact he was he checked in with me recently and reported back to me how the experiment went when we don't get our own way then the identity that we're cultivating by playing the role by playing the game is interrupted. When we frustrate that, when we don't, we don't feed it in the way we used to, then we can see we can see what we're feeding on. If we take away the nourishment, you see how we feel about it. Also, in our practice, the cultivation of agility, you know, to recognise agility as a spiritual virtue or as a vector of spiritual development. 
Sometimes people project too much onto one particular meditation technique and that's all they do. They'll just do sitting meditation. They won't do walking meditation. They just do this one sitting meditation technique. Where all the Buddha taught mindfulness exercises in all postures, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, all of them are to be uh, trained in. And if we do that, well, that's also a way of helping us not get lost in overemphasizing any particular form. Formal practice and daily life practice, it's, it's, it would be a mistake to, to just think that spiritual practice is, is all about sitting or going on retreat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we've all seen you know, religion is what you do on Sunday, you go to church on Sunday and then you, you're, you're a rotten egg the rest of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very spiritual on Sunday for an hour or so and then when you get back to work you underpay your workers and, and you kick the cat and the spiritual life is isolated and insincere. Yeah. So one way to check that, one way to protect ourselves again is to, to make a conscious practice, a conscious valuing of daily life practice. Yes, formal practice has its place, absolutely. Yeah. But also, equally, equally, the daily life practice. It's not just the formal practice. So the cultivation of renunciation, and if we get a handle on it, it's, not, it's important to, to consider that renunciation is not just about uh, building up our credentials. You know, again, another materialistic attitude towards renunciation of how good am I getting by making myself suffer. You know, that's not the point. You know, renunciation is so that we have this opportunity to intensify and see what happens. What happens to our level of awareness? What happens to our clarity when we're not getting our own way all the time? Not always feeling that we have to have conducive circumstances in which to practice, but a determination, a resolve to practice in all circumstances, all situations. So if we really start to, if we really get a feeling for what renunciation is about, we start to see that renunciation is really letting go of trying to find identity in these roles. That's what renunciation really is. It's not really giving up music. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with music. Unless we get lost in it, we get intoxicated by it. You know, when Ajahn Chah was visiting the West and, and somebody asked him, he said, well, you know, isn't the music of Bach beautiful? And Ajahn Chah says, oh, yes, but the peaceful mind is more beautiful. Yeah. So it's not taking a position against the beauty of the world or the beauty of sensuality, the pleasures of the world. It's not taking a position against them, but how can we avoid getting lost in them? Because when we get lost in that's when we lose sincerity, that's when we lose the edge of our practice. So appreciating the place, if we have that appreciation of the role, the function, that is renunciation, we don't project too much onto it, and we get a feeling for really what we're renouncing, really what we're letting go of, is our overinvestment in these forms, and stop seeking identity in the roles. 
So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Thank you, Mr. Mayor.